0: The heady aroma of marijuana wafted over me as soon as he opened the door.
1: A few more piercings in that face, you could double as a pasta strainer on spaghetti night at the VFW.
0: This is how Carla's phone greeted Jim Palachik, the guy who'd been the county prosecutor when Jill Reynolds was killed. Carla Danny, my trusty assistant, who clearly needs a few more lessons in the subtle art of questioning a witness who might have information they may or may not wish to impart after being insulted. Give her a minute. Her fingers aren't nearly as fast as her mouth and that's currently out of commission. During the stubborn silence, I breathed in deeply, hoping for a contact high to top off the three drinks I had before we arrived.
1: Morno, that wasn't an insult. I was giving you a visual. Cheech here doesn't look like the easily flappable type. In case you haven't taken a deep enough breath to sound the sensory alert, on the Mary Jane scale, he's twice baked potato, well on his way to thrice baked. I certainly wouldn't mistake him for a former county prosecutor.
0: I'm not stoned. Just relaxed. Legally, I might add. Uh, don't mind, Carla. She gets a little randy with hyperbolic rhetoric from time to time, but I assure you her ostreperous nature belies nothing regarding her carefree spirit and tender, tender heart. I'm blind and her jaw's wired shut neither of us is in a very good mood so if you can answer a few questions about an old homicide case with zero digression along the way we'll have you back at the bong lickety split you were looking into the Reynolds case jill was her name right yep that's the one have a seat carla nudged me into a rocker and i felt her brush past me to what i have to assume was another chair or couch
1: well look at in the indoor chair i know
0: that was beanbag chair for those of you who haven't yet mastered her language. Carla, what did we discuss about slobbering in front of interviewees? What up? I think she just told you to shut up. Stonehenge appeared to be enjoying the show. That she did. Before she barrages you with questions from her portable chipmunk machine, let me ask a few and maybe we can cover most of what she's got written down. For the sake of brevity and my ever waning patience. No rush. I just put some banana bread in the oven. You should be smelling it here shortly. Duly noted. So, tell me what you remember about that day, starting with how you learned about the murder. I was at my office, a couple doors down from the hardware store at the
2: time, above the drugstore. My secretary took a call from one of the officers on scene, said I needed to get down there because there'd been a murder. Not sure which one called, and to this day I can't say why they called. It wasn't their habit to summon me to crime scenes. Nobody was even at the front door, so I went in. Someone must have directed me downstairs. I don't recall who. There were customers and employees milling around upstairs. I went down, walked through a door that was open at the back of the room, and saw her lying there. It was gruesome, a lot of blood. The floor was dirty and dusty and covered in footprints. I looked to my right down the narrow side of the back room and saw every one of the city cops and most of the county deputies just standing there like a bunch of dunderheads staring at her. I asked them what the hell they were all doing standing around. Then I asked if they'd called Price. One of them, no idea who, said why. Because none of you meatballs are qualified to handle that scene, that's why. I told him that too. I remember being pissed off because I felt they called me down to see how I'd react. They were treating that scene like a joke. And it's probably one of the reasons that it's still not solved. I doubt they were able to pull any usable shoe impressions. It was just a mass of them everywhere. I turned around and walked back to my office and called Price. Told him to get down there before they did any more damage. To his credit, he got there quick. To say that scene was compromised is an understatement.
1: Lovely. Do you recall seeing the cop who assaulted the state trooper and a customer a month earlier at the bar?
2: Oh yeah, Fred Hensel. I remember he still had a cast on his arm. Had a warrant for his arrest sitting on
0: my desk that day, awaiting execution. What were you guys waiting on? Union stuff. Why the hell was he helping process the scene? Who
2: authorized that? Nobody. He was suspended at the time, but that guy was a real asshole. I don't think he believed they'd fire him. He's the type that threatens litigation offensively to keep people under control. Classic bully personality with none of the charm of intelligence to back it up. He hired another lawyer in addition to the union rep he had, and I think he believed he'd be back on the job soon. Unless one of the other cops called him that day, he probably heard the call over the scanner and headed up there. Waltzed right in and walked downstairs with nobody, even challenging him. He was there with the rest of them before I or Price or the crime scene techs arrived, so he had no one, if any authority, to tell him to get the hell out. And he wasn't the type to take direction well, even from superiors. I never found out who called me, but it was someone who knew that scene was a problem. What about the police chief who told everyone he wasn't there that day? I believe he intentionally distanced himself from the investigation. Imagine getting a call from the county sheriff telling you to get down there because your cops are trampling all over a crime scene, and you arrive to find the cop you've just suspended wandering around the dead body. Add to that the fact that the county, city, and state cops were not playing nice with one another back then. I think a considerable amount of time passed while they argued about who'd handle the scene. The chief probably thought, no thanks, I'm out. Call me when you find the guy. He was basically a teddy bear figurehead type. He was never interested in the dirtier side of law enforcement. He was more like the mayor, the town mascot with the keys to a car with flashy lights and the property room. The chief handled the notification of Jill's mother. He was friendly with everyone down at City Hall. I don't really think he had much part in the investigation, other than passing along information
0: that came into the P.D., Do you know if they had any suspects at the time? It was a long enough pause that I could tell he was weighing what he should and shouldn't say. A guy with what I presume is the legally allotted number of plants allowed for personal use somewhere on his property doesn't need to go alienating the local state police
2: detective. The husband was leaned on pretty hard, but I got the impression Price didn't think he was the guy. Seemed clear early on that this was going to be a tough nut. After a hectic first couple of weeks, I don't remember much about the case. Price kept the investigation tight to the vest. I think that's because the first patrolman on the scene was leaking like my grandma's bladder. Folks kept coming to me with very visual descriptions of the injuries. Descriptions that sounded a lot like they'd either seen the body or heard about it from someone who had. No wonder Price isn't talkative about the case. Yeah, he's taken a lot of heat about it over the years. I think people blame him for it not being solved. He's a good detective. There may have been more to work with if that scene was handled properly. Hang on a sec. I need to take that bread
0: out of the oven. I leaned back in the chair and rocked. Its sturdy frame creaking against the wooden floors. It had to be antique. They don't make rockers like this anymore. Except maybe the ones on the patio of every cracker barrel in the country. I know this because that particular eating establishment happens to be one of my favorites for its comfort food and sheer predictability. It'll always be packed. You'll always have to wait. You'll always end up buying crap you don't need from the gift shop, but it'll all be worth it when you dig into that meatloaf and mashed potatoes. Oh, and you'll always play that wooden game with the pegs while you're waiting for your food. Here. Our host dropped a small paper in my lap. Its contents were warm.
2: Mmm. That's mm. all so, so good. Oh, you can't eat this, can you? Oh, good good to me. I'm
0: gonna try. <laughs> uh
1: Oh my god, I miss food so much. Uh I just want to shut the whole thing right in my fucking
0: mouth. All right, settle down. You're like one of those angry monkeys at the zoo who try to snatch food from visitors. Are you sure about that? Our host sounded concerned. Mm. What's she doing?
2: God, this is good. Picking off tiny pieces and shoving them into the corner of her mouth with a finger. Remember Cookie Monster on Sesame Street eating cookies?
0: Uh. Ah. So... What's with the piercings? I shoved the last half into my mouth. Damn, this is good. I
2: didn't like being a lawyer. Wasn't good for my digestion. The piercings started out as a dare made by a buddy, but it grew on me. I'm a farmer now.
0: The cows don't give a shit how many holes I have in my face. After checking with Carla to make sure I hadn't missed anything, I let her finish her banana bread, and he offered his mobile number in case I had any other questions. Then we said our goodbyes. When we got back to the bar, Lola slid an envelope to Carla.
2: Looks like the council's gunning for you, Carla.
0: At the sound of paper ripping, I took a long slug off the beer Lola put in front of me and waited for Carla to read it. I heard a groan and paper rustling, which I took to be her handing it back to Lola so she could read it to me.
2: They want to know what her plans are for the now burned out, dilapidated building that she's responsible for. She's either got to renovate it or demolish it because it's now officially a hazard to the community. You've been summoned to the People's Court. 7.30
0: tomorrow night. I drained the glass and set it down at the bar with a little more fervor than was necessary. Keep them coming, Lola.
1: If you are going to get drunk, I am going upstairs.
0: Sounds like a plan. I was only a sheet and a half to the wind when I made it upstairs later. She'd been silent as I entered, though I knew she was there, probably laying on her stomach in the dark, staring into the lid screen of her laptop. What began as me feeling around to find her slid quickly into something more. And when I say quickly, I am not being hyperbolic. Soon, I was patting her head, a move meant to illustrate my present fondness for her. What I felt when I did so was her hands moved to cover her face. I realized that little jaunt might have been somewhat abbreviated, but I did warn you ahead of time. Seems rather ungracious to rub it in. Let's just say I had a premature reaction and leave it at that. Damn it. For the record, the premature reaction was completely due to her pieces and bits and smooth, warm things, which all smelled very inviting. Sometimes being in the vicinity is all it takes. It's pure biochemistry, so I'm not sure why I suddenly feel the need to justify it. Carla rolled away from me, presumably toward her bedside table to grab her talking machine.
1: Orgasm is a spectrum of vaginal and clitoral responses that occur in varying form and intensity and have almost everything to do with her mood. Her partner's only real job is to quiet the chatter in her head so she can allow herself to be in the moment, unself consciously. Not to worry, more no. That can even be accomplished in 47 seconds. It didn't just now, but technically it's not impossible. I see. That wasn't about me not wanting to see you, Morno. It was about you not seeing me.
0: Need I remind you, I can't see, Carla. That wasn't exactly true. Right now, I could feel more than I could see the sparks of melancholy blue, but it was mixed with a sickly, fearful yellow that pulsed in and out of the blue specks amid a pale lavender haze that spoke to the passion I knew made up most of who Carla Danning was. She was good people. She just felt too damn much.
1: Need I remind you about metaphors, more no.
0: Enter the sigh stage right, tap dancing around the clicks. <sighs> Perhaps we'll officially rename it, les si, because it's as unnerving as it is endearing at this point, just like France.
1: I don't like being seen, Morneau, not really. But for some reason that I cannot begin to fathom, I want you to see me, you of all people, who couldn't see for shit before the blindness. I don't like how you make me feel. I don't recognize it. Can't put a name to it. And the idea of it suddenly not being there makes my chest hurt. I hate you for that. All of it. There. I said it. Now, let's never speak of it again.
0: I heard the click of her laptop snapping shut. I knew what I would see if I could see her in focus at that moment. How she'd avert her gaze as she felt around for her clothes, wishing she hadn't said what she said. How she wouldn't look at me, couldn't do it even though I can't see her. I know the before, during, and after Carla. How she manically slides from want and hands on skin and need to painstaking self-awareness. To the moment she shoves that all aside and climbs back into the safety of her skin. heard her pad across the room and knew she looked back over her shoulder because I can see her. Not the same way the brain translates stimuli to imagery, but I can. She doesn't know that, and that's probably for the best. The wrinkled brow and barely smile speaks to an unnamed, nagging ache. When she turns, the veil slides down and she'll swallow the perplexing urge to explore the moment's reflection any further, because it's safer for everyone involved that's one piece of advice I'd offer should anyone ever inquire don't avoid the parting glances sometimes it's the most honest glimpse you'll ever get the Dex Morneau series by Jenny Decker
1: narrated by Greg Wright and Jenny Decker music by Blue Dot Sessions